Essence of Tea, episode 52. Welcome. You are listening to the Essence of Tea podcast, where we share about the world of tea with you. From tea tastings to tea history and culture to tea education, health, and wellness, the Essence of Tea is your tea companion through your personal transformation and growth. I'm your host, Jenny Jie. Now let's get started. All right, welcome back to the Essence of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Jie, and I have this amazing guest with me, my friend. Alex Bates. How's it going? Yeah. And thanks so much for watching or listening to us. And um, today we have a very, very fascinating topic of, you probably would have never guessed this for me, D&D and tea. So we got our tea drinks here. He's got a, a silky sweet matcha, and I made a super nerdy with edible glitter. I call it my, and, and if you're watching on video, my uh, unicorn lemonade. So if you're watching this, this is butterfly pea flower, and it's going to turn kind of like purplish. <laughs> I got to admit, I'm genuinely a little bit jealous. I'm so curious to try that. So I just put lemon juice in it, and it changes the pH, and it's got the little glittery, kind of like your potions. Okay, so when I play D&D, and I did used to play D&D forever ago, before I started the tea company, I was a clerk. Mm. So like healing potions and stuff like that. Absolutely. So, um, but honestly, I don't know that much about D&D, other than I love it for the community aspects and the creativity. So when I was a high school teacher, that was our private school's extracurricular activity. Oh, nice. So, and the other teacher was like, you know, here at this school, we don't have that many kids and they're not really athletic. So just letting you know, if you want to get to know them better, you probably should start learning how to play D&D. And I was like, what's that? Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, I had no clue. I had honestly no clue. I knew what comic books were. I knew what movies were. I did not know what RPG meant. Mm -hmm. I did not know that it, you know, but the more that I got to know, I'm like, oh, it's like playing pretend, but it's like a board game with mm -hmm. stories and very intricate um, thoughts of everyone around the table or, you know, or in real life, I guess. There's and the dice know. give you a mechanism for resolving uncertainty, mm -hmm. which is a, uh, uh, an issue that like shared storytelling can run into where it's like, no, I do this. Well, I don't know if you can do that. Well, no, I can. No, you can't. Well, then let's roll some dice and... Let random chance figure it out. And so that gives you, it sort of builds, uh, it, it builds suspense into the story because, well, I'm going to try to shoot that goblin with an arrow, but let's see whether I hit or not. And you don't know until you, so it's, uh, I agree with you completely. It's, it's a, a wonderful exercise in collaborative imagination and storytelling with that added suspense of, you don't always know whether you're going to succeed at what you're trying to do or not. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things about it is to the way that, uh, you know, drama springs organically just from the table. Yeah, and and so here we also have some treats because mm. I wanted everything to be kind of like D and D nerdy, kind of potion colors and things like that, just creativity, mm. um, kind of the fantasy realm. And so we got toast, and I brought you some of our Earl Grey cream honey, which is our best seller. It's black, and most people look at it and they're like, what is that? You gotta try some. So I got you two pieces of toast, and then our lavender creamed honey, too. So the lavender one will be purplish, and then, I mean, two very different tastes, but you know, that way you can, we can have a snack during our tea time, our D&D &D tea time. And then we've also got, yeah, 
And most people are just like, why is that black? And then they taste it. I don't know. You're going to have to tell me what you think. I am I am intensely curious. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but it's honey. So this is Earl Grey creamed honey. And then we also have our lavender creamed honey. And mm. it... What? what do you think? What? <laughs> That's what everyone says. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting that. That's so good. Yeah. It's like and you want floral to take a, candy. And you, yeah, it tastes, I think it tastes like candy. It's honey. It's Alaskan raw mm. honey. But yeah, like flowery candy. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's so good. It's so good. And then, <laughs> I mean, look, people are like, how did you put the flavor in there? And I'm like, well... It's, it's honey. They're like, but did you add sugar? I'm like, no, it's honey. <laughs> it's a level four druid spell. <laughs> but yeah, people have like, keep loading it up if you want, because you can put it in your drinks. Of, of course, it'll just taste like Earl Grey. Yeah. But you can put it on like an ice cream sundae. Like put that on your vanilla ice oh. cream and have like a London fog sundae. I mean, we know in the world of tabletop games and D&D that there is always food. Right? Oh, yeah. Always oh, yeah. some sort of food, some sort of snack. And for those of you watching, are just like, what in the world is she talking about? You know how the tea culture is for like every single person in the world. And people come together from all sorts of backgrounds. But like for me, when I was just starting to learn how to drink tea, and when I was a high school teacher, that's when I started learning how to play D&D because it was our school's extracurricular activity. But I'm not going to drink a bunch of Mountain Dew because, honestly, the older you get, you cannot just be drinking cases of Mountain Dew anymore. Nope. So, you know, you drink your tea, you got your caffeine and the matcha. So, yeah. But, yeah. This Isn't is that crazy? Uh, this is really good. I, I said I, I don't know if you like the lavender. It's kind of a hit or miss, depending if mm -hmm. people like lavender. I try not to make it overly lavender-y, but that way you can kind of, like, taste what it looks like. Well, but I'm it's gonna, purple. I'm try it. <laughs> And I do like lavender. I like, uh, I have some deeply frustrating allergies. So mm. sometimes I have to be careful about, like, like flowers or pollen. Uh, well, it does um, have lavender in it. But so lavender, is one, okay, lavender okay. is one that does not bother me. And I, I, I it's frustrating because a lot of things are, like, they're things that I, I enjoy the smell of, but then, like, I got to go take, <laughs> run and take yeah, some yeah, meds right. afterwards. Like, oh, this is great. Let me go wash my hands and face. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I just thought it'd be kind of fun because, like, when you're role-playing oh. and you're imagining these things, oh, right? Nice. Yeah. And so, like, creativity goes hand-in-hand. Hand. I mean, mm. instead of having something that was, like, you know, modified. We were talking about this earlier about, like, recipes for a certain culture um, or or a hobby or something like that. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, we're going to talk about D&D &D and tea. Okay, I'm going to bring this really cool color-changing tea. I'm going to bring some, like, different colored honeys that have all natural ingredients in them. They're not going to make you sick. Mm -hmm. And it's just toast, you know. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you were telling me earlier about this cookbook. Do you want to talk about, you know, this? Oh, yeah, you're eating. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> I got a mouthful of toast. Tonight. <laughs> I, I need a minute. <laughs> but, you know, I was, you were talking about earlier before we got started today about, like, a cookbook mm -hmm. that you have that this professional chef made, and I'm guessing he must be a fan of like fantasy type of things, mm -hmm. but it's not like 
a cookbook where it was a Game of Thrones, like yeah. themed, or you know, like a Disney or Harry Potter themed cookbook, it goes the other way around. It's it seems like anytime there's a popular fantasy franchise like Game of Thrones or Harry Potter, inevitably at some point someone decides to, hey, let's make a Harry Potter cookbook or let's make a this. And if the franchise in particular talks about specific foods, like Harry Potter, for example. They, they talk about a lot of interesting and strange foods. Like you can buy, was it the uh, the Birdie Bots jelly beans? I think you can buy those as candy. Yeah, I, yeah, you can still um, buy them. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and Tolkien, for example, like the Hobbits, they go on mm-hmm. and on and on about food. So, uh-huh. some of them, so some of those franchises lend themselves to a fantasy cookbook better than others. But in my experience, most of them are just like quick, cheap cash-in type things where it's it's... A very generic, very plain recipe, just with a, a a slightly themed or maybe punny name slapped onto a generic recipe. Um, and for me, food is a big part of it because one of the joys of tabletop role playing games, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or any one of a million other games out there. Yeah, because there's um, other ones. Oh, there's so many. It's not Dungeons and Dragons; it's just one. I don't call it franchise or uh, Dungeons. Uh, that'd be the like, fra- yeah, uh, the franchise. Probably kind of like Monopoly, the would range. Be like a type of tabletop game. Yeah, like, still, so. like yeah, uh, like Monopoly is a board game, but like somebody it's play Monopoly and they put Clue or something else on the table. Yeah, like, yeah. So they're both board <laughs> games, but they're not the same. Yeah. Um, but for me, one of the joys of playing tabletop role playing games, as opposed to playing video games. Is that tabletop role-playing games, you play them with your friends, and you play them in person. You're sitting around a table, and so... Uh, and, and you're engaging in conversation, because that's how the, mo- or the, the story moves along, or the game moves along, of through the story. And, and people people do, of course, play online, but it's, just, it's not the same experience. Uh, um, and so when you're sitting around a table, food has always been a big part of role-playing games for me. And of course... The, the generic, you know, and the cliche <laughs> when you're in high school, it's like, we got Cheetos and Mountain Dew and pizza and, you know, yeah, all the yeah. delicious junk food that gives us middle-aged people heartburn now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I also feel like it's important to elevate that a little bit more. And uh, so for my own games at my house that I run, we usually do sort of a potluck thing where we say, hey, this mm. week, this week, Indian food. And we'll say, oh, mm. I'll, bring the, I'll bring the dessert. I'll bring an entree. I'll bring that. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying we never just, hey, let's just order pizza. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We do that. But uh, beverages, too. Like, I had a, a mango lassi for the first time in my life at a game night once because one of the people we were playing with, mm-hmm. she brought over all the stuff to make mango lassies. I was like, oh, oh my oh, gosh, this is great. so good. I had never, so <laughs> just never run across them before. I was like, well, this is going into my regular rotation. Mm-hmm. And so tea, I think, can be a wonderful way, especially in cold Alaskan winter, oh, a nice yeah. hot cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And, and it's atmospheric, too, because you're physically sharing the space with these people. And so anything that adds to the sensory element, you know, whether it's food or beverages or a scented candle or... Uh, just simply being in the presence of other people who are enthusiastically engaged in this creative act with you, yeah. that all adds to it. So I'm excited about this tea. Like I, I'm, I'm, uh, I specifically brought one with in particular. Um, for the last couple of years, about two years now, I've been writing for a Patreon called Flavor Text Adventures, and I brought with a sample of it. It is uh, a general resource... For people who play role-playing games, every month there is a story, a little bit of fiction, which I write. Mm -hmm. There is a custom recipe created by a chef named Mike Ficarra. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. (laughs) Um, 
Don't uh, worry, most people can't pronounce my last name correctly, yeah, so I don't yeah. even try to, you know, I just say I'm Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is artwork, you know, some fun illustrations, and then there's also some game content, usually relative to the recipe. Like, if you eat dragon tongue and you prepare it correctly, then in the game, here's what game effects it has. Oh, um, cool. For this one, the one I brought with... And the recipes are all meant to be real-world recipes. Like, you know, if you don't have dragon tongue, substitute a beef roast. If you don't have lizard man tail, substitute a pork loin. But and, if you do have lizard tail, definitely use it. It will oh, taste so much better. Absolutely. <laughs> Just el- takes it up a notch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I know I was going, we went to the ice carvings at the mm. World Ice Art Championships. Oh, yeah. And so we're seeing, like, these dragons. And I'm like, hey, I can find, like, a lizard tail. Like, over there. <laughs> might be made out of ice, but there's a lizard tail there. <laughs> And those the ice carver championships are just so. It's one of the joys of living in Fairbanks is being able to see those every year. I, I, lo- I love those. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, how did you, I guess, like get into this this realm, this this well, my, hobby, this creativity culture? Well, my my main gig is I make miniatures for the games. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've gotten older. And, you know, I think this is a pretty common thing for, you know, once you become an adult, your friends move away, they get busy, you get lives, you have jobs. It's not Mm -hmm. like being in high school or college where you can just hang out with your buddies all weekend. Mm -hmm. And so what had been a very important community aspect of, like, you know, gaming with my friends regularly, as they drifted away, I was leaning more and more towards solitary things. And so painting figurines is uh, and collecting figurines and using them is a big part of Dungeons & Dragons for a lot of people. They're certainly not necessary for the game, but I think they look cool and they're fun. And when I was a little kid, I enjoyed building models. And so it just sort of uh, kind of, my interest in it kind of grew naturally from there. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2006, I went to a games convention and I met some people there that I'd only previously only known online. And uh, I had this sort of epiphany where I realized... I'm an adult, I, instead of wishing that, man, I sure wish somebody would make a pterodactyl man miniature, it's like, I'm an adult, I'll make it myself. Yeah. And I went to school for art, so with my figurines, I do the concept art, uh, and I, I've done a little bit of sculpting and I paint them, but as far as the sculpting and physical manufacturing of them goes, I'm basically a project manager at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm the designer, the sculptors sculpt them, I tell them whether they need to change it or fix it. And um, then when it's finished, I send it off to a contract caster who has a little manufacturing facility, which I wouldn't be set up to do that in my garage here in Alaska anyways. <laughs> and yeah. they do the metal casting for the metal figures and the resin casting for the resin figures. Um, but I, I've never gotten tired of playing with little figurines and painting on them. So these are three of the figures that I've made. This is a pterodactyl man. This is a what we would call an objective counter called the Crown of the First King. It's basically King Kong's skull with a crown on. Oh, interesting. And um, this is Atali Pharos. She is a bodyguard for the Cult of the Cyclops, which is a little game set that I put together a couple of years ago that is not done yet. But the miniatures are done, so I brought her with to show off. Yeah, that's so cool. So, like, what do people do with the miniatures? Well, it's... it's In a, case they don't know. Like, sure, you know, sure. they're listening um, to this. There are people who simply collect the figurines just because they think they're cool. There's there's people who don't play D&D, don't play role-playing games. They just like to collect them the way you collect, uh, um, I don't know, a little little porcelain baby dolls or something. Like they just think yeah, they're cool. Yeah, or teacups. Yeah, or teacups, like yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there's people Shot who... Glasses. Shot glasses. <laughs> Shot <you> glasses. <laughs> 
And then there's people who really enjoy painting them, who don't do any gaming with them, but they just enjoy the art. They love building models and painting them, and they'll have like display shelves of beautiful, uh, beautiful statues they've painted. That grass is really realistic. That is called static grass. That is uh, dyed like a human hair thin. Uh, strands of nylon that have been dyed and oh then are glued goodness. and you hold it up a little static applicator and it adds a little, nice little bit of dimensionality to the base that wouldn't be there otherwise. Wow, so there's like a lot of science in making. A little bit. A little bit. I, well, I mean, I would have never thought about that. I'm just looking at it I'm like, Well, but I'm kind of lazy. A lot of times what I'll do is if I'll, I'll put the glue down, sprinkle the static grass on, and then hold it upside down and tap it and the grass stands up. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you don't need to have a static applicator. Well, so when I played D&D, I was a cleric, and mm-hmm. I literally just went to the comic store and bought one. And it's not colored or anything, yep. and I was like, whatever. That's good yeah, enough and, for me. And there's plenty like, of people who do yeah. that, too. Like, it's uh, That would be the third way that people use miniatures, is in that they are genuinely useful on the tabletop for uh, spatial referencing. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this thing is here, and the monster's over here. Where am I standing in relation to that monster, or that mm-hmm. doorway, or that mountaintop, or whatever it might be. And so having figurines on the table to represent specifically where things are relative to each other, that can be genuinely useful in gameplay, particularly if you're having a hard time visualizing what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, well, you're in this big room, and there's a fireplace over here, and two doors, and a pillar, and this other thing, and there's a guy. And you get to a point where, like, okay, that's complicated. Either physically draw me a map, or let's put yeah. some figures on the table mm-hmm. and show, okay, here's where everyone is. And so they are genuinely useful for gameplay that way. But mm-hmm. mostly I like them because I just think they look cool. Like, it's kind of fun. Like, hey, this is my guy. She's got a sword. She's badass. Mm-hmm. She's tough. Oh, there's <laughs> grass know. on there, too. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, my gosh. A little bit of moss. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, such detail. Yeah, I'm not that creative. I'm good at drawing stick people. Mm. Like, really good at drawing stick people, which oh. seems, like, weird to say. <laughs> but... I made a stick figure a birthday card once, like it was like a comic, and my friend thought I bought it at the store. What? And I was like, whoa, I'm good at making stick figures. Huh. <laughs> I'm going to have to see your stick figure out at some point. So, <laughs> When's your first Friday show? <laughs> so I'm like, well, you can't really sculpt or anything. Um, I'm good with cutting scissors, or cutting with scissors. Mm-hmm. Um, not so good at drawing or coloring in the lines, but you know, like <laughs> I can follow like very straight things. Fabulous. So what are some things that, you know, that you've gone through? So like, so for example, with COVID, some people, they didn't feel comfortable playing D&D in mm-hmm. person anymore, or they were spread out and had to go back to what, whatever it is. So I actually have yeah. friends who play um, D&D on Zoom. Yep. Yep. And so, like, what are some things that you've adapted to or struggled with, especially, like, making your manufacturing of your miniatures and different things like that? Well, my, my own personal gaming uh, that I do, we did go back to Zoom for the first year or so. We just played online. And it's it's not the same. It's like, you know, I think a lot of us who have been on Zoom a lot the last couple of years, like, talking to your friend on Zoom is not the same as talking to your friend in person. It's just not the same experience. Yeah, so it's better than nothing, <laughs> but nothing is a very low bar. Um, and so and it's enjoyable. I had a good time playing it. But of course, because I particularly enjoy the fiscals, I like drawing maps. I like having the figurines there. That whole element of the hobby is just sort of 
put on the shelf for me for a while. Mm -hmm. And on mm -hmm. the business side of things, as far as creating things, I, I've been hit by the same problems everyone else has. You know, materials costs have gone way up. The costs for metal for the metal figures, oh, yeah. the costs for resin yeah. for the resin figures, the costs for rubber and silicon to make the molds that you cast the figures in. Shipping, mailing things to Alaska has become wow. I mean, oh, that's yeah, painful. like double to. Goodness. Yeah, and that happened all around the holidays. Did you notice, like, the post office had mm. temporary price increases? Yeah. Like, that they, like, just all laminated sheet of the post office. I'm like, what? They can just do that? But, I mean, but everybody else, UPS, FedEx, they don't have to tell you anything. Yeah. But the I, post I, office, I was like, oh, my goodness. I seriously considered getting a seasonal job at the, at the post office because I'm like, like, my business was real slow. And I was like, man, this things are so expensive here. Like, oh, I'll just work at post office a couple of days a week. I didn't do it, but I, <laughs> I thought about it, and I have, I have not yet uh, eliminated that possibility from my life plan. <laughs> hey, we have an amazing post office lady who delivers our mail here. She's amazing. I'm so glad that we have her now. But I mean, yeah, I mean, for ten years now, every Christmas, and oftentimes at one other time during the year, because they get a lot of it at Christmas. But I'll bring the the post office here on Geist. Just mm -hmm. down the road from us, I'll bring them cookies. Oh, how nice! And so they remember me. <laughs> Let me tell you, in my experience, when the people who are crucial to you being able to do your job and run your business, when they remember you and like you, oh, everything gets easier. Everything in life gets easier. <laughs> yeah, I kind of made enemies with our post office manager at our. Oh we're, no! So I'm sure she remembers me every time I come in because. <laughs> I'm like, is this your rules or not your rules? I'm not understanding. Wait, you don't favor people, but wait, you just told me you did this. Like, and then the whole line is like, oh man, don't be debating <laughs> that lady. She's gonna call you out on everything. So, <laughs> like, no, but just tell me what your policies are. I will follow them. But you're just contradicting what you just said. And so I do not make friends <laughs> with the manager of the post well, I mean, I've had problems. I've had problems that are unusual. Like, you know, like I've had a couple packages get damaged badly. And while the my, the castings that I sell are made of metal or resin, the original sculptures are made out of usually usually a type of epoxy. Oh, and so okay. they are, and while they are sturdy in that they can survive a mold making process, they're not sturdy enough to like a, a per, you can't step on it. If a person steps on it, they broke. If yeah. the box they're in gets crunched, mm -hmm. I've had packages get damaged. I've had packages that were supposed to take five days to get to a customer take three months to get to a customer. And when you're trying yeah. to run a business where you're selling stuff, like, I, and I, I, I'm very lucky in that I've been doing this for about 14 years now. And most of my customers at this point know me a little bit. They've met me at a convention or they've bought from me before or they're, they've interacted with me on social media. So when I tell them, I don't know, man, it's in the mail. Here's a tracking number. Like, you want a refund? I've been very lucky in that most people have been very patient and understanding because it's it's the world. They know yeah. they're running into the same mm -hmm. problems with, uh, you know, all Everything. the mail they're receiving, you know. Even Amazon. Like, sometimes it's mm -hmm. the next day and sometimes it's, like, a month and a half. That's yeah. kind of weird. But, yeah. all right. Then that's when you get your money back. That's when you mm -hmm. file the, you know, like, hey, I'll take that back. <laughs> you know, like, give me that free shipping or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, then it happens, so... But yeah, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I think with how the world is right now, it, it might just get worse before it gets better. And a lot of kindness, patience, understanding, mm -hmm. that relationship that you build with your customers, that you're a real person, makes a huge difference because you're not a robot and yeah. some, like, I don't know, thing that just punches out and makes something. I mean... Well, I think sometimes people 
misunderstand, and, and I had the same misapprehension myself. Uh, I mentioned I went to a games convention in 2006 uh, called Gen Con. It's Indianapolis' biggest games convention in North America, oh, or at least okay. it was at the time. And I had, and because I had only ever been a fan, I had this idea in my head that all the people who made this stuff, they had offices and factories and storefronts. And I get down there, it's like, oh no, this is just like my buddy from the internet working in his basement and his wife helps. I'm like, oh, yeah. like this is, uh, it, it went from being this sort of nebulous, uh, you know, uh, you know, big business factory industrial thing in my imagination to being a very attainable, like, oh, this is just someone working from home. Mm -hmm. And that sort of made it real and attainable in a way that I felt like, if I buckle down and work on this, I can make it happen. And for the first, oh, let's say, seven, eight years that I worked on it, that I ran, that I ran my company, Forge Device, I really treated it at, at like a part-time job at best. It was more than a hobby, but only barely more than a hobby. Mm -hmm. I was producing one or two fig miniatures a year, and I, I made some dumb mistakes, which if I had done a little more research, I wouldn't have had, but... Uh, you know, when, and it when happens, you're, that happens for like all startups. Exactly. I mean, I've been in business for 15 years, and I can tell you for at least the first 10 years is all a bunch of mistakes. Oh, but yeah. you don't know. It cost you money I, or, yeah. I mean, like, Time, I had... Time, quality issues. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had things derail me for months. Like, you have, you know, just one, because so much of what I do is out of my hands. You know, the sculptor, the production, the shipping. Like, once it's in the post office, and I, nothing I can do about it. I had mm -hmm. things derail me for months. You know, um, uh, about ten years ago, my mom got sick. And I basically shut the business down for a year because I was dealing with that. And so, I think <clears throat> that goes back to what you were saying about the relationships you build with your customers. That's the most important thing because then they see you as a person. You know, like when I saw my friends in Indianapolis as just, oh, these are just people working out of a house. It's mm -hmm. not some faceless business or corporation. Yeah. It's uh, when they see you as a person, they relate to you as a person, and then all of a sudden the interactions become much more human and mm -hmm. less like they're not they're not talking to a robotic phone tree. They're talking to a person. And so that's been, uh, in some ways, a good thing to come out of the difficulties of the last couple of years in that I feel like mm -hmm. those human connections with the people who matter – uh, the people who, who care, the people who are passionate about it, I feel like those connections are stronger now than they would have been before this because, um, uh, and that's a benefit of the internet. It allows you to connect with people that you would never have connected with otherwise. Yeah, so. and then and the trend is like so many people still working from home oh, yeah. or small businesses like us who literally have me, a husband, two part-time, very part-time helpers, mm -hmm. and one high school student who's practically full-time. <laughs> but, I mean, he's an adult. He's, you know, sure. over eight. He's legally able to work full-time because he legally is an adult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and when people say, well, wh why is this late? Or, you know, when are you going to have this in? I'm like, oh, well, we literally make everything by hand. Like, yeah. And we ran out of labels, so we're printing them and cutting them out by hand and putting the tape on them. And, you know, like, or even, you know, we make our own pyramid tea bags. And they're really? like, what? Yeah, like, that. you didn't know. Yeah, we, I had no idea. we have the only machine in the state. Huh. But you have to have a mechanical person, like my husband, to figure out all the weird quirks. Because I'm not, like, I, I can't figure out electrical stuff. Mm. I don't, you know. 
I can make recipes. Mm -hmm. I can have conversations with people, and I can like manage a team. But I don't know, like, or maybe I just don't have the patience or background to be like, okay, this thing isn't working. We'll push this button. Oh, it kind of like <laughs> cuts the thing this way. I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know why the hopper's not working. So when he's not able to help and he's doing something else, we just. You know, it gets pushed back. And with yeah. the supply chain issues and waiting for jars, which we finally just got our new custom jars for the creamed honey. I mean, it's that's really a, good. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <should> take this. <laughs> oh, people are waiting for that. It's not even online right now. It's not oh, available. It's like sold out. But I mean, we create the blends. We hand blend them. Mm -hmm. We have to pour them into like literally. So like the person in their basement making this stuff with some basic machinery and stuff. That's like us, like our tiny yeah. team. The most so. the most recent thing I ran into was I, I ordered a bunch of shipping boxes to ship these figures in because you need a small box. I don't want to be paying, you know, I, or I, say, I don't want to be charging my customers, you mm -hmm. know, $12, $14 to mail it because you got to pay for the box and I'm going to pass that charge along. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ordered boxes from a company that I've ordered boxes from before, nice little shipping boxes, and they're sturdy enough. They're not like they're oh, going to get crushed. Yeah. And um, whereas, like, eight months ago, they shipped to Alaska just, uh, like, what, six weeks ago, five weeks ago, they said, nope, we don't ship to Alaska anymore. And um, I haven't found, and I don't know what to do. Like, they, oh, they, no. want, they want more to ship the boxes to Alaska than the value of the boxes themselves. So um, what, I've, what I've worked out is I'm having them ship to a friend of mine. Excuse me. I'm having the boxes shipped to a friend of mine in Seattle, and my friend in Seattle is then forwarding them to be here in Alaska. Oh, um, at least you have a friend in Seattle. That's yep. like the closest point to Alaska. Yep. So. And uh, so it's coming up with these creative workarounds. But of course, then the frustration is you have all this downtime. Like, I thought I'd have boxes. Nope, now I don't. So you end up shipping in, you know, the uh, the, the flat rate USPS boxes, which ends up being more expensive for, for customers. For so light, too. Yeah. Like a set, if if somebody buys a seven dollar figurine, they don't want to spend nine fifty to ship it on top of that. Mm -hmm. You know, like they they'll spend three or four or five dollars maybe. They don't want to spend more than the value of the item. So, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, I I'm running into the same problems as every other small business owner in America is running into. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, and being in Alaska adds. Just a little extra complication to that because shipping so dis the distance, the time. Mm -hmm. um, some places just won't ship up here complete at all, which is, it, in some ways, it feels like being back in the 1990s. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really does. Like yeah. with ship shipping yeah. times coming to Alaska, like it's like oh, this this is about how long it took to mail things up here in 1995. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and we're within the state, it's fine. But yeah, and 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 the whole chain of people in in the world, mm. so. Yeah. So, um, how can people find out more about you? I mean, you've been a long-term customer of mine sure. ever since we were even up in the basement, mm -hmm. you know? So I remember you coming in all the time and your mom too. Yeah. Um, but like, how can people find more about like what you do, where to get your miniatures or sure. how they can support you and your passion Oh, and your projects? Cause I don't think oh, you talked about uh, yeah, not... your different projects that you've pivoted to oh, yeah. because you're waiting well, for the, certain uh... things. If you're looking to interact with me, social media, you can find uh, my company is Forge of Ice, F-O-R-G-E, Forge of Ice. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You'll probably get the fastest response from me on Facebook or Twitter, um, but I, I check all of them every day. Um, if you want to buy my stuff, I have a website, forgeofice.com, and I have a, an online store there you can order through. 
Um, regarding my other projects, well, in a couple weeks, I'm going to a convention called GaryCon, because now that I'm vaccinated and boosted, uh, and the convention is requiring uh, some safety procedures, mm-hmm. uh, I'm comfortable going to a convention again. And I'll be running some games there, including uh, the first time I've ever run uh, a game for my own bespoke custom setting that I've created, because... You know, earlier I mentioned The Hobbit and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and they're all fantasy, but they're all either unique settings. Like, you know, uh, Harry Potter would find Middle-earth very strange. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if, <laughs> and if the hobbits started walking around in Westeros in the Game of Thrones, they'd be like, uh-oh, what the, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. So, so they're very different settings, and I've created my own setting, which is a, a lost world setting called Azor. And when I say Lost World, I mean Lost World in the set in the sense of the old pulp adventures. Marvel Comics yeah, people would know uh-huh. uh, Marvel Comics people would know the Savage Land, you uh-huh. know um, King Kong. Well, I was thinking all the black and white movies. Oh, absolutely! Like the, like the B movies, kind of. Absolutely! Okay, Heck right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and King Kong is probably the ultimate movie example. But like I said, in the comics, you know, DC has Dinosaur Island, Marvel has the Savage Land, and it's and it's a trope you see repeated in fantasy a lot, where there's somewhere, there's a hidden valley, or or an island, or an underground cavern, and in there, there are dinosaurs, and cavemen, and like, the ruins of a once great civilization. Mm-hmm. And so... Makes sense I, with your, your dinosaur. Absolutely. And I'm, hev- <laughs> I'm heavily inspired by that type of stuff, like Tarzan, the, the old, I mean, the old novels. Old, yeah. Like, the, they're a hundred years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had one of my customers describe it as it's a Bronze Age Mediterranean smorgasbord with dinosaurs. <laughs> and I think that's perfectly accurate because the human civilizations are very much inspired by Bronze Age, uh, before the, the Bronze Age collapse, uh, Mycenaean, uh, Mycenaean, uh, Mycenaean Achaea, Greece, um, e- Egypt, and a little bit of Crete. With a little bit of Conan the Barbarian and like some generic fantasy stuff thrown in, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm running a game at GaryCon set in my setting. Uh, I ran a Kickstarter a couple of years ago for a set of miniatures set in my setting, and I got all the miniatures out. But the book is very late. I'm still struggling to finish it. That's been one of the hard things the past couple of years. So you're writing some books. I'm too? writing some books. I've, I'm writing for this Patreon called Flavor Text, which is the recipes. I write the fiction for them. I've got a comic book that I write with a local Fairbanks artist named Brianna Reagan. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the comic's called The Clockwork Queen of Oz. I bought one. It's about a little girl. I bought who... the first volume. Oh, <laughs> I should. I would have brought the second one for you, but no. Uh, it's about a little girl who gets shipwrecked and washes ashore in a strange and steampunk version of Oz. Because I'm into steampunk, or I used to be. I, mean, yeah. I used to have more time. I remember you used to have those steampunk meetings at yep. your basement. Because store you got like tea and you know Victorian, you know Victorian or industrial Victorian. It goes very well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the comic book's also been put on hold because uh, Brianna, the artist, uh, her day job is she works at the hospital, so she's been very busy for. The last couple of years, oh but we're hoping to have the third issue of the comic out later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find the Clockwork Queen of Oz on Instagram and Facebook. Um, gosh, I think that's about. I mean, like I have so many other things. Like I've had a couple of comic books in the in the works, some uh, some other scripts. Um, I'm working on a novel. I don't know when that'll be done. <laughs> but, but but this the year, thing is, like the theme is though creativity with community of Absolutely. people of like-minded people. You know, 
usually foods involved. Mm-hmm. We're having tea, obviously, because I'm a tea podcast. And, we'll, and you're a customer, and, you know, you've been drinking our tea for years. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and, you know, it's just a way to bring people together and to have some good times and to build healthy relationships, especially when times are so hard right now. And people are so separated and isolated. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, one of my upcoming projects, I'm working with an artist in Serbia who's become a good friend of mine named Alexander Kostic. And he and I have been working on a Dungeons & Dragons adventure called The Dragon of Calaman Mountain. And it is... The very short, shortest version I give you is there is a very dangerous dragon okay. hiding in the mountains. And you are a group of adventurers who are going off into the wilderness to find this dragon and deal with it. What sort of tea would people take with them into the wilderness to drink on a brisk fall evening in like a like a Denali National Park kind of uh, wilderness? And let's say let's say Denali in October. Denali in October. What kind of tea would someone bring with? Because I am just about to begin playtesting that with some friends, and uh, we're starting a whole new game up, and we'll be doing food. Every time there's a night, I'll be using recipes from Flavor Text to mm-hmm. feed them, but I'll need tea to go with that. I want beverages that are non-caffeinated, non or that are non-alcoholic mm-hmm. for those evenings. So, what would you recommend? So, our number one tea seller has always been the Thousand Mile. The Thousand Mile. So the Thousand okay. Mile. Have you tried the Thousand Mile tea? I've, it's the official tea of the Yukon Quest Dog Sled Race. I usually get your matcha, and sometimes I get your peach. It's a peach breakfast, I think. Uh, there's a sweet peach white tea. That's the one, yes. I'm yeah. terrible with names. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um. <laughs> but the reason why I say that is that is the official tea of the Yukon Quest, and these dog mushers go a thousand miles with drinking this tea. Huh. It helps keep them up. It has tons of caffeine in it, you know, but it's also just tea. Mm-hmm. So you get all the health benefits of tea. And it's foolproof, so when you don't have time to even think about it, because you're, I mean, in the fall in Alaska, it's like snowing slash raining. It's Mm. really wet. Um, You want something warm, but also like rejuvenating for your health. So Mm. it's actually a blend of white tea and black tea. Interesting. And it's never bitter, and you can't mess up on making it. You just throw it in and go, because when you're in survival mode, or you're in the middle of the wilderness with 14 dogs, yeah. you know, and it's 40 below, and you're in a blizzard, and you can't find the path, you don't want to have to think about making tea. You so just I've, throw it in and go. Exactly. Uh-huh. I've, I've done the full tea ceremony once, mm-hmm. um, and it was delightful. But it's certainly not the kind of thing I do it like every day. Like, most days... I want my beverages to be as low effort as possible. Yeah. <laughs> like heat water, drop something in, stir it, and if it's more complicated than that, I probably don't want to deal with it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and that's a thousand mile tea. Well, that sounds perfect. Just throw it in and go. Like even if you don't have a steeper, I mean, I guess you could eat the tea leaves, <laughs> and they'll give you more energy, like matcha, which is technically full ground tea leaves, and you're mm-hmm. drinking all the benefits of it. So, I mean, when I think of an adventure and a long journey. And surviving, that's what I think of, is the thousand mile team. I mean, my hood even says, fueled by thousand miles. Oh, (laughs) I I have been curious about what specifically that was. But yeah, all right, fueled by thousand miles, makes sense. Yeah, we have like truck drivers who drive up north the whole road and they just like survive off of that. But for like inflammation and healing, Mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend rooibos. Okay. So it's a natural antihistamine. You can put like 
like if you're soaking the tea and like you got like a paper towel or whatever mm -hmm. and you've got like a cut or even a mosquito bite and you just put it on your skin and it stops hmm. hurting, it stops itching. I put it on my mosquito bites in the summertime here. Huh. So yeah, it's okay. really powerful. And like if your your immune system's going down and you have like say you have canker sores or a cold sore, which is kind of a trigger, like, oh your immune system's going oh, down, yeah. the yeah. rooibos like instantly numbs it. Interesting. Yeah, not like Benadryl, not medicine tasting or anything, yeah. but it's caffeine free. And so like if you need to get the rest, not stay up the whole time, that's yeah. when it, that's really great for your immune system, but bringing down inflammation, injury, stuff like that. Because there are definitely times I want caffeine, and there are definitely times when I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's good to know which is which. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting, because I, 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 I like tea very much. I, I enjoy it a lot, and, uh, but I, I am not at all knowledgeable about it. So this is really good stuff for me to know. And it's the kind of things that I can throw in. I, I just, just a couple days ago, ordered off Amazon a book on edible flowers. Oh, yeah. And reading through, uh, just reading through like the summary of the book, it mentioned how many flowers have traditionally been used in tea and how much of that mm -hmm. uh, uh, goes to medicine. And how tea is one of those rare things that like pretty much anywhere you go on earth, pretty much any people, they have yeah. some version of you put these plants in hot water and drink it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and exactly. Yes, every single culture. You know, even the indigenous Denina people like yeah. in the interior of Alaska, that's how we came up with our fireweed blend. Because mm -hmm. they would use fireweed. There's fireweeds everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, so. it's, it's a weed. It's common. It's not hard to find. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, as a kid, I remember uh, I grew up, I've lived in Alaska since I was about 10 years old. But as a little kid, I lived in Minnesota. And my mom would send us out to collect dandelion greens when okay. they were young. And so we would have, because there's four, I have three younger brothers, and okay. we're, all, we're all big guys. Uh -huh. And so let me tell you, we ate our poor parents out of house and home. <laughs> and so sending the boys, they each have a basket, and like you, the youngest one, have to fill it up with uh, dandelion flower heads, which my mom would then turn into dandelion jam. Okay. And the greens, as long as they were the young greens, and we just eat these great big dandelion green salads. Mm -hmm. So ever since, I mean, that's about as far back as I can remember, like harvesting local plants for food has been part of my life. Uh, I've never tried harvesting anything for tea, though. So fireweed, that sounds fascinating. What's, what are the properties of fireweed tea that we should know about? So for fireweed, it's also good for cuts and sores and stuff like hmm. that, too. Okay. So it's very similar. And there's like not really any side effects. Hmm. And it kind of tastes sweet and kind of like honey. Well, we're used to fireweed honey here. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I am a big fan of Fire Read Hunt. That's good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Tea and D&D, &D, even though it's not technically D&D, &D, but, you know, the, the culture, the yeah, lifestyle. We'll have the D&D &D to it right there. There we go. And definitely check out Alex and what he's doing. I'll put all the, the links in the notes below. And, um... And yeah, we'd love to hear, you know, your stories, your comments, you know, what you're interested in seeing, maybe more tea recipes with this fantasy culture or not. Um, I, I'm sure that would be very interesting and help those people who are interested, or at least you got it a, a little bit into the culture of like people might not understand is just community and playing games and spending time with each other absolutely thank you so much for having me and for feeding me and hydrating me this is <laughs> this is delightful my goodness it's been a real pleasure yeah thank you and just one more thing i have an absolutely free mini course coming up april 4th 
It's called the Immune Boosting Tea Workshop. And if you're interested in learning more about the health benefits of tea, you don't want to miss out. I haven't taught this class in over a year, and I know lots of people have loved it and have been asking when I'm teaching it again. So here's your chance to take this online mini course for free. Sign up today at universa-t.com. That's university.com. 